You're listening to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast, where we explore the connection between exercise and positive mental health. And our big mission is to help 10,000 women develop fitter minds and bodies in the next two years. I'm your host, Michelle Frost. Let's get moving. Welcome to episode 16 of the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast. Today, we talk to Betty Menzies. At 77, she's an inspiration to all of us. Enjoy. Okay, today on Fit Mind, Fit Body, I am absolutely over the moon to have Betty Menzies here with me, a new friend that I have met through uh, this podcast, who's been referred by another podcast interviewee. Uh, Darren has um, has connected us, which is wonderful. Now, um, Betty, welcome along to the Fit Mind, Fit Body podcast. Thank you, Michelle, and thank you for inviting me to share my story on your program. I am so excited to hear more about it. I've only heard little bits and pieces. So let's get right. started by, by just where do you live, what, you know, that kind of thing. Give us All a right. little bit of background, a bit of Betty background. Right. Well, please don't hold it against me, but I was born in New Zealand oh, wow. 70, 77 years ago. No. My father was a farmer, so outdoor lifestyle was the one I inherited. Together with my sister and two brothers, we walked and ran to school when we were, to the school bus rather, when we were late. And that was five days a week and maybe about 2K um, journey or longer, um, both ways. So I've always loved sport, mm -hmm. but in the 1950s, girls did not run. Oh. Uh, not at our school anyway in New Zealand. Oh, wow. It was an ag agricultural college and the boarders had created a swimming pool of sorts which, which measured 25 yards and it was built in the middle of a, a stream or a river. No. So the, we got swimming practice um, and we also had hockey at school. Now, hockey was the absolute love of my life. I went to school to play hockey. I didn't go to school to learn. And um, my sister and I were rapidly advanced to the A um, hockey team at school. She was strong and solid and I was skinny and light and I was allocated to the left wing position on the field. My tough old father softened considerably when he learnt that his two girls had made the top team. Wow. I can't recall the competition of the other schools, but I was able to thrill my father in particular by being able to repeatedly run the whole length of the field and score a goal. <laughs> now, the goal was really the only thing anyone was interested in, Perhaps I'd been, if I'd been born a decade later, it may have been noticed that I may have a genetic advantage in the running department. Of course. So, so the speed, nobody could catch me, but nobody cared about that. It was the goal and I did it repeatedly and it was, it was the way I got on with my father. Um, anyway, fast forward to my career as a registered nurse or as a nurse. Mm -hmm. Because of our very restrictive working hours, weekend sport was put on hold for many years. Of course. I had a passion for fitness and I played uh, squash regularly and occasionally mm -hmm. swam. Good nutrition was taught to me by my darling mother. She had a heart problem, yep. a very serious problem in her mid-40s. She was told she wouldn't see her oldest son growing up if she couldn't reduce her weight. And so we had calorie charts all over the place. Um, it never really left me, so I've always been aware of, of the value and the calorie value in food. 
but I did go off the rails a fair bit during my nursing training because we were so lonely and work was so hard and you couldn't exercise. Yeah. I got fat. No. And I, I did <laughs> the first time in my life and I didn't like it. I really hated it. As soon as I stopped working weekends in my early 20s, I shed my puppy fat and I've remained at a constant weight of around 50 kilograms ever since. So how tall are you, Betty, just out of interest? 60 centimetres. So what's that, five foot two in the old Five foot two? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm fairly lean. Yeah. Anyway, I must say I had a marvellous life as a nurse from doing a postgraduate course in cardiovascular uh, nursing at Greenmain Hospital in New Zealand Mm -hmm. to becoming the head nurse of the intensive care unit at the tender age of 23, would you believe? Wouldn't happen now. (laughs) We were just given responsibility when we could do the job. When you're a baby nurse. (laughs) These days it sounds like a baby nurse 23, doesn't it? I felt that it must have been a baby, but, oh, no, I was so full of confidence in those days. I knew it all. Anyway, (laughs) then I went off to Vietnam to work for a year with the New Zealand surgical team. So I tell you, I've had a very interesting life. Wow. Um, I was 12 months before travelling to London and I worked in the a private hospital called the Harley Street Clinic. Now, Harley Street probably rings a bell with anybody who watches any movies. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting place, and we met some interesting people. But some of our surgeons were mentoring Middle Eastern surgeons, so we met a lot of Middle Eastern people as well as English people. So I was there for three years. It was a Best job. It was just fabulous. Had to be on our toes the whole time. Worked hard and we played hard. Anyway, after having returned to New Zealand and working in Wellington for another year, Mm -hmm. married and spent the next 10 years in Townsville where I played a a lot of squash. Which is not New Zealand, by the way. You just... Townsville in Australia. Yes. (laughs) You just moved country, didn't you? (laughs) Yes, I did go home for a brief visit. But anyway, fast forward again to age 46 after my lovely life as a slob. Um, My marriage had dissolved. I bought a house in Brisbane and was spooked by the size of my mortgage. I'd also taken a job at a lesser pay with the University of Queensland doing some research, paid a pittance. (laughs) So there was good money to be made in Saudi Arabia. Um, No way. Yes, if I go there for a year, I could almost pay my house off. So um, hemodialysis nurses were in demand. I'd have 10 years experience. So I was accepted. And um, I began my entire whole life, a whole life with virtually no exercise. Women were allowed to exercise in the pool when it was Women's Day only. Okay. Men's Day, men had four days a week, women had three days. But if your day off happened to be on a Friday, which was their holy day, yeah. No swimming that week. So virtually you sort of died down and did for the whole year about 10 swims. And um, wow. So what did we do for relaxation and camaraderie? <laughs> we illegally made grog. I was going to say, I think I might know. I, I had a and, doctor friend who was there for a while years ago. And I took up smoking again. You did not. I did, shock horror. You know, we were, um, it was horrible. But back in, the, in, the, in that era, doctors all smoked, nurses all smoked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until a little bit later that a lot of research was done on the damage yeah. smoking. So uh, fortunately, my desire to remain fit and healthy overcame my nicotine habit. And in the first instance, when I was in my 20s, 
and again post-Saudi Arabia. So with a pot of gold and an unhealthy body, I returned to Brisbane and immediately threw away the fags and started playing squash again. Well done. <laughs> I reckon it took me a year to yeah. get feel decent again. And when I say decent, yeah, even though you've stopped smoking, you feel like your body won't move properly. And I used to imagine nicotine swirling around in my hips and legs and arms, but gradually, you know, I felt better. There's the breath too. Did you find that with the, the breath? Like I smoked in my early 20s. Oh, did you? Um, yes. I found it was the breath that hard to breathe properly, especially when you exert yourself. So whether it's oh, upstairs yes, or right. playing squash or. Hmm. Right. Yes, yeah, playing squash and having nicotine. It just didn't work. Mm. Anyway, and there started the beginning of my next life, my current life, the best life. Um, <laughs> my run, life as a runner. At age 47. 47. And, and I was invited to join this <coughs> men's team, squash, because I was actually <coughs> a reasonable squash player. They spied me and thought, hmm. So <coughs> that's where I met Bruce, my baby, Bruce. He's 10 years younger than me. Wow. I loved playing squash with him. He was energetic and I was energetic. We weren't that good, but we we could run around the court. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> so he rang me up. Said, Would you like to come out for a run? And I thought, uh, run me? I don't think even think I like running, but really like your company. Aww. So I said, I thought about it for a while. First of all, I said no, and then I come back really quickly and said, oh, yes, I'll give it a go. And um, that's where my fabulous running life started. Um, 30 years ago, actually, I've been running 30 years. 30 years. Well, minus two for the surgeries. Uh-huh. <laughs> so now it's 77 and two total hip replacements later, a couple of knee arthroscopies and uh, stuff that you don't need to talk about because once... They're done, they're done. Um, and I'm enjoying every minute of my life. Um, just to be out there with my running buddies, feeling as fit as I ever did, less speedy, but I feel great. It's my joy. I know it won't last. So if you ask me how long I think I'm going to run. I, I was going to ask you that. <laughs> I'll say how long is a piece of string because I seriously told myself, Stop it at 75, that's enough. You've had a couple of hip replacements, you're feeling good. No way. Um, so anyway, going back a little bit backwards, I ran my first marathon age 50. I'd suffered from a cardiac arrhythmia since um, contracting um, influenza A. I mean, when you get influenza, it's the real deal. Yeah. I ended up with a pericarditis and a scar tissue oh. in my ventricle. Mm -hmm. And that um, started this arrhythmia, which was controllable. The cardiologist told me at the time, increase your cardiac output mm -hmm. and you'll get over it without medication. And that meant get fit. And uh, I remembered what he, he said, although I wasn't that fit in those years. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to run my first marathon. My doctor said, you'll have to have a VO2 max test because, you know, with your history, blah, blah. Anyway, I had my VO2 max test with the doctor there and taking my blood pressure. And um, as soon as my heart rate went up, mm -hmm. my extra beats disappeared. Wow. Um, so I was considered fit and healthy, but I also had to have a follow-up with the uh, physiologist from Uni uh, University of Queensland. So along I go and he says, your heart rate maxed out at 190 something. And I said, oh, no. He said, no, he said, that's great. And he taught me that everybody's an individual. Yeah. And if, if your heart rate at that 
um, speed can withstand the, the oxygen volume, that somehow um, means you've got a great capacity. And he said, what's more, uh, you go out and kick butt because you've got ability, you've got a genetic advantage. And I kind of suspected, but that confirmed it. And that was really encouraging. It made me more competitive, although it was a bit before that. <laughs> so I had a really um, great career and I did really well and I enjoyed um, the competition. Yeah. So um, I've received some great advice along the way. And I really rate my mentors a lot, or oh, very highly. Mm -hmm. Never really had a coach, a proper coach, but I've had mentors who've given me the best advice and I'm, I know that's why I've done very well in the speed department. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think these valuable gems I'm able to pass on to other people. And I mentor, mentor a couple of people now. I don't want to be a coach. I don't think I'm very good, but I just say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a few tips. And um, I feel uh, that I am able to give back that way. That's awesome. So I know that you're very humble, but some of the things that you have actually achieved, you've only been running for, um, as you said, 30 years. I say only, but... Somebody who's just starting running will go, what? <laughs> 30 years? That's ancient. Um, I know you you said uh, your squash partner got you you running. Um, Bruce, yes. What kept you running? Was it just that once you start, those moments, did you just enjoy I it so think, much from yes, the beginning? Well, the success, the camaraderie, mm -hmm. and uh, the general feeling of well-being. I don't really understand what a runner's high is, but I do because when I don't do it, I don't feel so good about myself. Yeah. And uh, also it's taken me on some great journeys. First overseas marathon was in Rotorua and I had my family looking on. That's awesome. Um, second one was in Boston. Wow. And that was just a holiday within a holiday. Wonderful. That was before, that was back in 1996. And 98, we ran Comrades Marathon in South Africa. Oh, wow. And that is just an experience of a lifetime. Uh, not just the 80, 87K of running. So it's an ultra marathon. <laughs> the ultra marathon, yes. I, uh, we went on a uh, we went up and watched the animals. I think two weeks we spent up and further up safari. in South Africa. But we did our own safari. We hired a four-wheel drive vehicles and we to get over such a long run. We just relaxed in these rondevelles. We wrote about our trip. We read a lot. We drank some nice wine and had wonderful food for a whole two weeks after Comrades. So at Kruger, I couldn't remember the word, Kruger National So, yes, those are some of the reasons that have kept me going. But when I started falling apart, my body, mm. I just had the best surgeons. <laughs> and they said, oh, you, particularly my hip surgeon, and he's an athlete himself. He is the only, well, he's rated as very best, but a lot of people think their surgeons are the best. But it's Patrick Weinrath, he's a phenomenon. When he first told me, I was just shattered. And he just stood up against the wall and talked to me for 20 minutes. Wow. And then he said, go home and think about it. And I said, no. I know I have to have it because I'd had all the injections and mm. all the lubricating stuff. And um, he said, you'll be up to run afterwards. And he said, in fact, I want you to run. <laughs> and um, 
then he started on the prehabilitation, not rehab, but prehab. Yeah. And that um, got you core muscles strong. I've been doing Pilates ever since, and I really recommend that. But you got fit, and then you got look. You look forward to the next step. Mm-hmm. Six months break from running because uh, it takes six months for um, bone to bond with ceramic. Ceramic was fairly new in the, back then. It had only been tested for 10 years. So that was going to see me out. <laughs> but it's, they've been good for a lot longer. So you don't have more than one. You just have the one and it sustains you. But your physiotherapist and I also <laughs> struck the best physio in Brisbane. And uh, they taught me something I'd never had before, and that was strength exercising. I think a lot of runners adopt this strength approach. All this stretching doesn't do anything. Mm. So from that day, I've been doing strength stuff, and particularly since my second hop, and that's kept, I haven't been to the physio for a whole year. Um, so you had the most recent one like only a year or so ago is that what you're saying two years two years okay. and the other one five years yeah well so yes I've, but this time back um yeah I've I've taught myself to run differently yeah well like I know you want to know what we think about when we run mm-hmm. I have quite a few things I think about what one is my technique Bruce told me I was running like a question mark. And that really shocked me into thinking he's so gentle. He never criticises, but it made me think about my running. And he watched me for a while. And then mainly in park runs, I watched these people going past with these tiny little steps. And I thought, I'm going to try those. And, And my physio said, because you've run on the track a lot, you've got your shoulders right up, mm-hmm. drop your shoulders, move your arms. And I practice and practice and practice when there's nobody else around. And, and it actually is an easier way to run. It's an easier way to run faster as well. So that kind of so, relaxed, you're talking about a more relaxed sort of um, posture, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And relaxed. Shorter. And very short steps, and I was always trying to stride out, and that's exhausting, especially for when you get older. So I won't say for an old lady, but it um, it's it's made it more joyful to know I'm going to go out and run a decent time, and I'm not going to be gasping for breath at the end. So that's one thing I think about. The other thing is I do solve problems. I don't have any to solve now because I'm not working. But when I was working, um, there was a really good problem-solving time because it just clears your mind and mm-hmm. enables me to think. And then extreme stress, like yeah. when my mother died, mm-hmm. I was I knew I would be the one to, re- to give the eulogy. Mm-hmm. And I half knew what I wanted to say, but I was too traumatised. Yeah. I was blubbering and I, oh, <laughs> I went out for a run and the whole thing came together. Absolutely. And it was all um, geared around running and how my mother, she never ran in life, but she'd say, oh, you're going out for a run. And she'd be so sad because... My nephews and nieces didn't want to come. I was looking for a marathon. So she'd say, she'd stand out on the veranda and say, when will you be around? I'd say, oh, every 30 minutes. And 30 minutes, there she was, dear little lady with her white hair, waving. And so my eulogy was sort of geared around her and her, the sort of person she was. Supportive and... And um, what she gave to us was her time. Mm. And um, that was worked out on the run. Then I practiced with Bruce. And it's like running. You practice. And the 
first time you practice, <laughs> the second time I was quieter in my blubbery, and finally I did it without crying. And um, it's, you know, the practice and the seriousness of it all. And that's, you know, that's running that gives you that, can help give you that discipline. And that sort of confidence to, to do that. Um, yeah, I, I, think, never, yeah. I, hadn't, I hadn't really thought of it like that. As I've done a, a bit of public speaking over that. I've never thought, like I often think what I'm going to say, but I've never verbalised it while I was running. So that's, I really like that tip. I think I'm going to take that one myself. It was just interesting the way I got down to the corner of our road and it's, it's uphill. And mum's voice came in and said, get a move on, Betty, because she always said that to me. She said I was just too slow at doing stuff. I was, she'd say set the table and I'd take 10 minutes longer than anyone else. Get a move on, Betty. So... <laughs> That kind of stuff, and, and it just all came that morning. Like, That's wonderful. Yeah, it's very interesting and very yeah. lovely. Yeah, I love that. I do love that. Um, it, one of your stories made me think uh, to ask about identity because it seems to me since you started running uh, 30 years ago that it has really become it's a big part of who you are. So, but we have talked about you thinking about when you maybe can't run, um, although maybe that will be never. Who knows? Um, <laughs> who knows? Especially now you've you've got all the plastic bits. You could, or, or is it <laughs> ceramic? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah um, I, we talk. I talk a little bit, or we. I talk with guests a little bit about that running identity and and, mm. and what to do with that in those times when you can't. So when you couldn't run, when you're recovering from your operations and things. Was there things that you say to yourself, or maybe you know, attaching your identity to someone who is a fit person, even if you're not able to run, um, you know, or a happy person, or you know, to something that can't necessarily be removed from you so easily if something happens to your body? Like, I just, well, yeah. you hit the nail right on the head because I, you, you never give yourself time to look back, look forward. Yeah. And the way to do that is to remain in touch. So I started learning photography. I went down to the club and I took all the club photos. Everybody loves the photographer. They do. That's true. <laughs> I volunteer a lot. I volunteer at Parkruns, but I volunteered at our running club, which is big. It's got 800 members. Yeah. And it, it is the love of my life. And there, I do the magazine um, editing with the editor. I do pre-race entry. In fact, I introduced that to the club. There are quite a few things I do. Um, surrounding myself with happy people, well, I've never met a runner who's not happy. Our friends are our running mates. So I can hang around with them and do stuff without being a runner. And I found that was really important. Mm. I do also know people in the club who get injured and can't bear going down and watching other people. I love watching other people running. I'm a resultsaholic. I love following their achievements and stuff like that. So it's something that will stay with me even when I'm not running. Yeah. I, I, I know it will. Yeah. So that it's not that... Um... So the identity of being a runner, you'll still be a runner even if you're not running because you'll still be involved in running. You'll just feel maybe um, the running won't be um, as it is uh, now, for example. I don't know. It's one of the, I know at one point I couldn't run and I, it, I was miserable, which made me think I needed to have my identity attached to something else. It could still be around running and maybe that's... Mm. You know, what you've done by being, you know, and I'm a bit the same here. I'm very involved with the local running community and the, you know, help run the local running club. <laughs> so uh, very um, similar in that way. I think it would be a lot harder as a younger person, but as an older person, I think I feel um, if I just want to do as much as I can, I don't want to get to the pearly gates and feel that I could have run a bit more. 
I just want to do as much as I can while I'm comfortable because I I know it's on the cards that my um, osteoarthritis might catch up in other areas, but so far I've been very lucky. And if I have to stop, well, I do have another hobby. I am a potter and I've put that on hold for a few years because it hurt me a lot sitting on the wheel um, throwing pots with my hips. I was thinking of selling my kiln, but I haven't. It's still sitting out there for when I retire from running. (laughs) And that's a very um, time-consuming hobby. Mm. Mm -hmm. But I think I'll always love following speed. I love watching swimming and tennis. And so, yeah, I'm an armchair. What what makes you, like, people run for different reasons, but obviously I think getting the most out of your body personally, it seems to be a big thing for you, like trying to run as fast as you can at that moment, you know, in a race anyway. I assume that's not what you're doing so much in training, but certainly in racing that seems to be uh, a motivation for you. So why do you think, is it a competitive sort of edge that that has you doing that? I think it's... um... A goal that I, I set myself mm-hmm. um, after my first hip replacement yeah. is that age grade percent. And I know it doesn't really mean a lot comparing with other people. You can only compare yourself with yourself. Yourself so, yesterday. <laughs> yeah, so if, for example, I didn't run when I was 20, but when I first started running, mm-hmm. I had a fairly high age grade percent but I had an acceptable one in my head. So when I come back, if I couldn't get over 70%, I wasn't going to feel happy about running. So can we, can we just go back one step and explain that to people who are listening who may not understand the percentage? Yes, no, but I, I don't think people do. So you can run in the park run and you're 77 and you might even be the slowest in the field and you get 85% age grade, for example. No, I don't. I get 82. Um, it's not that you're a better runner. It's that you've got a, um, a greater uh, genetic advantage. So some people, like my partner, he, he never gets up to 70 because he wasn't born with the fast twitch fibers. Yeah. It's just something that you inherit, you get given yeah. from your um, parents. So I know I've got that. So for me to know that I'm still cardiovascular fit, if I can get to 80%, I know I'm doing well cardiovascular-wise. Which means you're running faster than 80% of all of the other women your age. In parkrun, is that uh, what it means? It does, and there are better age grade percents than me. But I That's do. A- my goal is above eighty percent, and I know if I can do that, I'm pretty fit. That's if I drop down mm-hmm. and into the seventies, it means I'm not working that hard. <laughs> um, if I can maintain that because of my genetic advantage, it means that my yeah, my arteries, my cholesterol, everything ticking over well. I really know about because when I work in the Department of Surgery, I work next door to medicine. Mm-hmm. They needed a control person who was over 60 and not on any medication. Uh-huh. So nobody, only me. <laughs> no so way. I got a lot of free, expensive testing from central dopplers where they measure the blood flow inside your heart not just your peripheral all that stuff and um, it was great I wasn't a very good control because I was so much better than I was going to say this <laughs> but um, it was great for me so I have that um, knowledge at the back of my head that I can do this and I don't need medication to this day so here's hoping I think for me, I started running as an adult in my, when I was 26 or 27, so, <laughs> which is about 30 years ago. <laughs> so, um, well, I'm 52. Um, 
so for me, I'm, I'm kind of an average of the pack runner usually. Um, yes. And I wrote a marathon of um, three hours, 36 when I was, that right. was only about six years ago, seven years yes. ago. Um, and then I thought I was doing quite well, but in my brain, I've just been, one day I'll be the fastest woman because everyone else will stop running. So I'm thinking I'll be like 90 or something. I'll still be running. No one else will be running. And that's the only time I'm going to get into that, you know, 90, 80, 90% percentile because no other, nobody else will be running with me. So. <laughs> yes, no, your age, it, it appears that older people have higher age grades. They may well do, but it doesn't mean to say they're better than you. No. It means that you have the advantage and it's a nice um, feeling, but every time the club tries to introduce age grade percent um, results, mm -hmm. I argue violently against it because I would win most of the time. <laughs> you know, there are about four of us. and We just do, yeah. Anyway, um, what I was saying is that I don't want to be the last person holding everyone up. And when that happens, I definitely stop. <laughs> You could just go running for by yourself around the around well, the maybe maybe if that happened I, I would have something wrong that would stop me but anyway <laughs> who knows so um what is your favorite kind of running like you've mentioned track running do you do a bit of trail running as well or like obviously you do a bit of road running because the race is yes often on track the running I did it for almost a decade and mm -hmm. I'll tell you now I don't think I enjoyed it at all no is that, that going around and around in circles? Or? No, no, it's the people. Um, oh. And particularly <laughs> the Masters. I must be very careful here. But I did run in the Masters when I was younger. <laughs> I say I'm not even a Master yet. <laughs> They're unfriendly. They're uh, competitive for medals. Mm -hmm. It's not about in general improvement. If they can break a record in the 70 and it's so slow, you'd be embarrassed. <laughs> That's, that's not me. And yeah. so I stopped. But I did gain um, a certain speed and technique, but I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. Almost never. I didn't meet anyone I particularly got on with. And yeah. um, I got a few records. I got a lot of medals, but I didn't, didn't really want them. You didn't enjoy it so much. But road running, I love it. Our club was very friendly, very competitive. Mm -hmm and also caters for all walks of life. So yeah. we're a racing club who mm -hmm. put on races. So you can run around a 5K circuit, but you're always seeing other runners, and I like that. Yeah. You have good good conversation. You have good camaraderie. Trail running, I'd love to do it, but my body doesn't want me to. Yeah. The uneven surface. Mm -hmm. If I fall, that's the end of my hips. So yeah, so you've got to be a bit careful. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I, I like road running, full stop. And so what about training? What kind of training? Do you, obviously, is the racing once a week? I don't know how you guys do Oh, training, yeah, I'm very routine. Four days a week mm -hmm. and my maximum distance is 12K. Yeah. I've restricted myself to that because I think I, I could run further, but I don't really want to. So I race 10, I race fives. Mm -hmm. Tuesdays we have speed training mm -hmm. um, with a group, uh, about 12 of us. Yeah. Thursday we have our happy friends, about 15 of us. We go, we meet 5.30 and we run around these hills. And then the usual thing, we all gather around for coffee and yeah. yarn. And Saturday's park run. Sunday is either a long run, which is 12, or 10K racing at road runners, which is every fortnight. So it's pretty routine. And I love all of them. And now you do your strength work as well. You were saying too, since um, the hips, yes. you, you've realised how important that yeah, is for running. Three times a week, strength, and three times a week, Pilates. And do you do them? Well, do you do all of them out of the house? No, here at home. So you've got it all set up at home to be able, like you Bruce, don't go to a gym or those. No, Bruce and I uh, do it together. That's great. 
and uh, it's a routine that we have to do it because the other person wants to. Yeah, <laughs> just got to do it. I didn't think I'd do it if I lived on my own, put it that way. So it keeps you accountable, like having a a, a buddy, being yes. a partner, which is really helpful. I have the same. My husband's the same. He helps me <laughs> and vice yes. versa. Um, yeah, we encourage each other. If one person's doing it, the other one goes, oh, okay. <laughs> mm. We'll do it together then. <laughs> yes, it's like uh, before we... Bruce moved in with me um, and we eventually ended up in his house, by the way, but <laughs> we um, had seven years of just seeing each other and therefore I'll meet you on Thursday for a run, I'll meet yeah. you. And we did that for a good seven years and th th that was a commitment. And yeah. so that started the routine and it continued when mm. we started um, sharing a house. So. So we, I often talk about, especially in the beginning, the first few episodes of the podcast, about uh, the friendships and the relationships that, that happen because of, you know, running. Um, yes. And that's quite obvious for you because it's like um, yeah. your relationship developed from there. But I guess there's other friends and things that you, um, you know, that friends that you've made through running that... Um, oh, definitely. <coughs> Little gems. People I couldn't have got through my operation without, I think. Yeah. They were there for me, helping me through, knocking on the door, coming for a walk today, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And that's just through the running clubs. Yeah. So you think um, that um, the fact that you've gone out and you, especially if you say training for a marathon, um, I often mm. think about it, you know, when people go through some kind of experience together that's quite hard and obviously a marathon is quite a hard thing to do especially mm. if you've never done one before and it requires if you do the traditional training it requires that longer distances and things and then the actual mm. event on the day when you do a lot of that together with a training group and training buddies it does develop a relationship that's not quite like you know where you just go to work every day with with people there's this different relationship that's developed Yes, you bond with people. Mm. And then um, just for example, my first hip replacement, I was allowed to run after six months and I decided I was going in this race after one week. After <laughs> uh -huh. and I, really, I, it was so stupid. And just at this little angel, a guy who's a good runner, just lobs up beside me and said, I'm running with you. Oh. And I'm thinking, you gave up your run for me. And so I had to do it. No walking. Oh, I might have walked a couple of times, but I was really proud of my result. I wouldn't have done it without him. Wow. And that was just like um, some little angel popped down and that was that, was that time. Yeah. And the second time I um, was much more controlled. I waited two months. Mm -hmm. And I decided what I wanted to do and I asked another friend if he'd run with me and he did. And I don't really like um, people pacing me normally. I think yeah. it wrecks their run. But I did and that got me through my, my first, second hit. Wow. It's, you know, you develop friendships that are pretty deep. Mm. And, um, yes, I, I agree with you. You, you bond. We often, um, there was a study that I, I heard about where they talked about why some of that is and they think um, in part it's because when we're running, we're running with our eyes facing uh, away, from, away from each other. So we can just kind of chat and it doesn't feel intimidating or, or anything. Whereas sometimes if we're just sitting talking with each other and we're looking at each other in the eye, it's sometimes harder to open up depending on what yeah. the topic is. Whereas if that kind of running side by side is an environment where it's a little easier to open up perhaps on topics that are yes. harder to talk yeah. about. That reminds me of this little girl that is in our group and she's from Ind Indonesia. I mustn't mention names, but I come home and I say to Bruce, oh, she'd be married. She got married eight years ago and she went to university over in England and Germany and blah, blah, blah. She said, how do you know all that? Said, we ran together this morning. I know her life story. <laughs> we, were, we were both slow. 
and she opened up and yeah. I would never have asked her those questions had she been sitting at a table and me eyeballing her. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really it's, fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. My running friends and I often say, because I've got two running or a running group that I run with twice a week and we have coffee and things together afterwards, but we talk more about personal things while we're running together <laughs> before yeah. we go to dinner and have the coffee often. And we'll even say we know more about each other's lives and our you know things that have gone and happened and, and things um, than we do necessarily about people you might say are our good friends that don't run. Yeah. Vic, just yeah. because we have this thing where we we see each other once or twice a week usually, and so we've got that regular kind of update happening as well, um, and it just creates a different sort of depth of friendship, I guess, and relationship than perhaps yeah. you get elsewhere. Is, uh... Well, a friend just recently said, "Oh, I was reading a story about this group of, I think, New New York runners, and they were." Uh, talking about what they talked about. And they said, when we meet socially, we talk about nothing but running. We only talk running. When we are running, we never talk running. We talk social stuff the whole time. So but when good. we're out, that's what we want to talk about. That's so good. I totally understand that now. I've never heard it put that way, but yes, I think that's true. That's I've, I think I see that in a lot of my relationships. It's <laughs> good. Yeah. And uh, sometimes uh, a runner in your group who really is a pretend runner, <laughs> they, you know, come along and don't put much effort in and they're very social. They say, you're coming out to dinner tonight, but talking about running is banned. Uh, what? Well, that's, that's, that's how we all met. <laughs> but I'm not coming out for dinner. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I guess one, there's a couple of other questions, but uh, one I just thought of when you said that, and, and that is, when do you, can you remember when you first thought of yourself as a runner? Because it was funny, you were saying, um, when Bruce first said, come on, let's go for a run, uh, you were like, oh, no, <laughs> really? <laughs> was it, I think it was um, probably... We'd been running together for a year or so by ourselves and uh, one of the girls at work said, um, well, you should join this fun run and I did and she started telling me about all these old ladies who stopped for the toilet and, and I'm thinking, heck, I think it's time we join a club and it wasn't until Bruce and I did that I think we decided that we perhaps were would enjoy some competition. Yeah, oh, wow. so probably when I was about forty-nine. Yeah, and then very quickly we ran half marathons, and very quickly <laughs> I wanted to do a marathon. That was fifty. So wow. yes, took, took a year or so. So before. there definitely is like a running addiction, isn't there? Oh yes, I think That's... it's an addictive <laughs> lifestyle. And, even you have to be disciplined if you want to do well, mm. but that discipline is is uh, makes you feel better. I think healthier. Yeah, I think that's true. So if somebody's thinking about running, who maybe hasn't ever run, or mm -hmm. is coming back from a a long time of not running for different reasons, what kind of tips would you give them? Better oh, to well. them and keep them going to get them started and keep them going more important probably we we have a we have a huge club in mm -hmm. brisbane called in training mm -hmm. which i belong to most of us belong to our own, more than one club mm -hmm. and they run training sessions for beginners couch to five k's and couch to tens their coaches are really lovely people very understanding mm -hmm. and so that kind of gets them going but I would never encourage anyone to hang around the same group. I would encourage them to then find their own um, friend or people they feel comfortable with and never listen to all the advice you get because everybody want <laughs> to give you advice and they're all well-meaning. But, for example, if you want to run 
a three and a half hour marathon, for example, don't ask all those girls who run four and four and a half. Find out from somebody who's been through it, but mainly listen to your mentors, listen and pick up and throw out, um, but develop your own mind. And what I really dislike about advice that's given out is listening to your body. Mm. <laughs> um, I know that sounds like it's really good, but they teach them to run slow. And I've had a mentor who said to me, do you know why all those um, new runners are running slowly? It's because they ought to run slow. He said, if you want to run quicker in a marathon, you go along at a particular pace and then you decide, oh, my battery is running low. You... Um, so what were you saying? We were talking about mental. So when you're running along um, in a marathon and you want to run faster, your coach oh, yes. said, he, I assume. He said, no, yeah, he was a um, masseur. Yeah. He said, do 10 or 20 minutes of um, surges. So 10 minutes every 20 minutes or yeah. five minutes every 20. So you go along 20 minutes. Ah, we've got a surge now and we'd surge. And that made our training so much uh, more palatable yeah. because you had something to do and 20 minutes yeah. is gone really quickly. Really fast, yeah. I love that. I, actually, interesting that you say that, you know, the um, the thing to do with don't listen to your body necessarily. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find my um, plug-in. You just, you just listen to me while you plug your computer in. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I was listening to something the other day and I actually think the important thing is to be able to listen to your body and know when what you're feeling is injury coming or is it just your body going through a bit of um, discomfort because running, um, improving running requires a little bit of discomfort in your body. So it's that it's people not understanding the difference between what is an injury versus what is just discomfort, which is healthy for our body to grow and to improve, which is I think what you were saying as well. And I thought that is really um, interesting well, to hear. Just, um, I obviously have had, had a few problems. Mm. And um, the one, and everybody has it, is the hamstring. Yeah. So my, my darling physio says, do you know what I think you should do, Betty? Go out and run more hills. I said, it hurts when I'm running up hills. Run more <laughs> hills. And I did, and it worked. I think. So just to finish up, we were talking about tips for new runners or returning runners. Yes. Um, and we had, I think, like it was a shame it finished, like dropped off right then because we were talking about the difference between listening to your body and oh, yes. just yes. stopping um, yes. or, or slowing down rather than um, allowing your body to to grow and to strengthen because you've pushed it a little bit harder than perhaps you did the week before, that kind of. um, I really do think you need an expert to help you make that decision as well. To learn what that that is, what it looks like. He had the knowledge that that leg, um, that hammy was very strong. Mm -hmm. Even though it hurt me, Mm -hmm. he knew that it would withstand a few more hills. Yeah. And that gave me the confidence to do it. And ever since then, I got stronger and stronger. And I still hurt a bit in that hammy, but I got a lot better. Mm. I think, I do think we find it very difficult as humans in our very comfortable lives that we have right now in this modern yes. life. Um, we are always comfortable. And so the moment we get uncomfortable, um, that's a challenge for us and because we're just not used to dealing with it like everything that we do is you know we have a remote control for the television we don't even have to get up and go and change the channel anymore mm-hmm. um, everything is being automated for us we hardly have to do anything to you know we hardly have to get uncomfortable in everyday life so mm-hmm. um, I'm not surprised that so many people find it challenging when they start running because it is uncomfortable and yes good for you to be uncomfortable and I've just been reading this wonderful book called How Bad Do You Want It? And mm-hmm. do you know the book? No, I don't, but I love the title. 
Oh, and I can't tell you who the um, author is in American, but it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It, it's really talking about elite athletes, but it actually um, enters that domain that you just did about our comfort lives. And uh, mm-hmm. yes, so that was interesting reading. Um, it's by, I think I just I just found it. Um, how bad do you want it? Is it uh, Fitzgerald? Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That's him. Well so worth reading. Um, I'm going to put that, add that to my list of reading. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Katie. That sounds really good. All right. So, is there anything before we um, before we go? Obviously, you've got lots of power on your computer now that it's plugged in. But before we uh, before we head off, is there anything else that we haven't talked about? Do you think that we should have shared that might inspire people to pick up a pair of running shoes and and head out the door? Well, maybe perhaps it does take a little while to feel um, better, fitter, and enjoy your running. So. Perhaps I would say give it a bit of time and um, enjoy it because it is such an enjoyable pastime. But it can be um, hard when you first start running. Yeah, yeah. But that's really? It's that practice that that, um, can bring it to the other side where it gets easier, although you kind of get used to being uncomfortable as well, I think, to a degree. Yes, and particularly if... You're up there with the elites. We have the great um, good fortune of running with Krishna Stanton from time to time. Krishna is a world um, competitor. She's uh, been to the Olympics more than once. She won a silver at the Manchester Olympics. And awesome. She, she is, she's 55. Oh. And She's got her competitive spirit back and she's trying to, aiming to break the world record in her age group for the half marathon at the Gold Coast this year. To do that, to do that, she knows what pain is. Yeah, she's getting uncomfortable regularly. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, she's a lesson to us all. She's just, she, she is the one that told me. She always calls out arms, arms when I'm running. So she's always trying to help us, oh. us lesser, us lesser beings, and um, it's 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 very encouraging. Yeah. So what is it with arms that she's? I know you've got me curious. What is oh, she telling you to do with your arms? The comfortable position that I've developed: small steps, drop the shoulders, but also swing the arms mm-hmm. to use and them as part of your momentum. Oh, I do, but low arms. Oh. And I always used to, you know, get up like yeah. a spring, but no, drop the shoulders and the arms naturally um, move with relaxed shoulders differently. It's helped me a lot. And there was just one little mentor tip, one little gem that I've tried to pass it on, but you have to practice a lot, especially if you've always run. In a In different, different way. Oh, yeah. 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 I think that's true. Uh, well, Betty, you have been an inspiration. <laughs> you are an inspiration. Thank and you, Michelle. I'm sure that everyone listening to this will find your story quite inspiring, um, especially when it comes to as we get a bit older, being able to keep running and being very competitive like you are as well. Like it and takes. To, and to know, be comfortable. And being comfortable, being yeah. uncomfortable <laughs> a little bit as well. Yes, it, it's a nice sort of a discomfort, yeah. pushing yourself, but to actually just go out for a jog does not hurt me one little bit. No, yeah, I totally understand that. But I really, really appreciate that you've um, given up some time for us to share your story. Well, I appreciate you wanting to talk to me because that um, made me think and made me feel um, quite happy if I can help some other person. I'm positive that you'll be able to help loads of people when they hear your story. Uh, it's very inspiring. And we'll keep those of us who are already running, continue to run, and um, put new people hopefully so, will, um, will also think yeah. to take it up because uh, I think it's, you know, something pretty much anyone can do and it's only going to help yes. them with their life both physically and mentally. So, yes, yeah. definitely. And um, 
Yeah, thank you very much because it's been my pleasure, actually. I was nervous and um, felt I mightn't be able to get a message across. But anyway, hopefully I have. And, You've uh, done an amazing job. You, it really has been an inspiring conversation. So, um, oh, and I'm sure that that people will be delighted listening to it um, in a few weeks' time when we have, get to put it up. So, if you so I, yeah, I just want to wish you well because oh, I think you. I can tell you're just a lovely person. Oh, <laughs> that's very kind of you. Um, if you want to stay on, I will. Um, don't just run away, but we'll stop the recording now, um, mm -hmm. and we can have a chat. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for listening to the Fit Mind Fit Body podcast. For a bunch of resources to help you get and stay fit, head over to the website, fitmindfitbody.co, and I'll see you there. I'll also be back here once a week. Bye.